the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Thank you, sir, and a pleasant good afternoon. Welcome. Good to have you with us for this Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts with you on the 11th day of December. I guess we begin the 12 days of Christmas tomorrow, don't we? And uh, I don't want to be a bah humbug <laughs> going into the Christmas season. So we're going to get the tough stuff out of the way. But it's important stuff. And particularly if you're a parent or grandparent of children that attend public schools in California, you need to be aware of something that we've talked about in the past. It was passed by the California State Legislature, my goodness, uh, four years ago. Something called the California Healthy Youth Act, which you would think might promote the eating of fruits and vegetables or children getting off of their digital devices and out into the playground and sunshine again. And it would be wonderful if, in fact, that's what this act did. But it has nothing to do with that sort of health. It has more to do with the three little words we're all afraid of, S-E-X. And if you have young ears near the radio, you might perhaps want to busy them elsewhere as we give you an update on what's in the California Healthy Youth Act, and in particular, the outright, I'll say it, pornography that it promotes. Karen England joins us, Executive Director of the Capital Resource Institute. Karen, thank you for taking some time during the holiday season to Uh, Give us some insights as to why this particular aspect of the California Healthy Youth Act can be potentially so uh, dangerous to young children. I I must begin, by the way, Karen, with a bit of a disclaimer here. I have not seen the video that is part of Amaze.org, one of these resources that's uh, touted within the the, um, sex ed curriculum of the California Healthy Youth Act, and I'll tell you the reason why. Um, Being a Christian-based company, we have certain filters that are placed on our Internet so that uh, our sensibilities are not assaulted because we happen to go Google something and wind up with uh, something delivered to us that would be a bit on the untoward side. And so when I went to go and specifically review the video, the 10 to 14-year-olds are being used to uh, being, uh, being educated with here in California. I, as an adult, could not review the video because our company restricts access to what our algorithm deems is a pornography site. Is that not telling? That is so telling. And often the curriculum that they are using in the California public schools and charter schools, which are public schools, they encourage them to take the filter off for the lessons on sex ed. And so for that reason, and it's really interesting you said that because I was um, at home looking at some stuff, 
and was going to show my husband. And I'm watching it, and I thought, no, this isn't healthy for me to show my husband. He, he doesn't need to see this. And, and so it, it, it was cartoon, but it was very pornographic. And, and it actually says to our 10- and 14-year-olds that viewing porn is okay and healthy. Yeah, I, I saw some of the descriptive language that you sent along um, with the link, and uh, and of course beyond the irony that I could not view uh, what had been uh, been posted because of it being blocked by the company, um, it, it, it certainly indicates to me that it is taking the notion of pornography, which has been so long recognized as being contributory to everything from uh, abusive relationships to uh, uh, driving a wedge. Uh, between husbands and wives. I mean, uh, the, the number of resources available out there to point to uh, the negative impact and, and uh, damage that um, consistent, quote-unquote, consumption of pornography can be, and yet here here this is being celebrated. Here this is being elevated as a good thing to 10- to 14-year-olds. Yeah, here's they, they will have a disclaimer that, hey, and, and I've looked at all of the compliant curriculums throughout California, and I, I work on sex ed nationwide. So I'm familiar with pretty much every curriculum. Um, they always have a, a one-sentence kind of disclaimer. Hey, this, you know, this isn't how all women look, or, you know, this could affect you. But if I'm a 10-year-old, and I'm told that this, and, and the curriculums tell you this, that it can be sexually arousing, and then I'm watching a cartoon that introduces it to me and tells me it's normal, and that a lot of people do it, 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 it actually entices our kids into exploring it. And that is so detrimental and such a detrimental message to our kids, especially our boys. Um, I, I want to protect our girls, but our, our boys, when it comes to the issue of pornography, are the ones that, that struggle more than women. Not that women don't, but I'm concerned that we're showing this to 10, 14-year-old boys. Well, and, and clearly, I mean, this this was passed by the California state legislature, as I mentioned, back in 2015 as part of the California Healthy Youth Act, Assembly Bill 329. And clearly, the members of the California state legislature don't have much taste or ability to differentiate between what is healthy for kids 10 to 14 and what is outright pornography. And I would venture to guess that not many parents were involved in the passage or approval of this curriculum. No. As a matter of fact, we are one of two organizations that opposed it when it was going through the legislature um, and trying to sound the alarm back in 2015. But here's, here's the thing that your listeners need to understand. It really does come down to a conflict of worldview. The people that passed it actually embrace pornography, think that we do need to explore things sexually, that kids have a right to their own sexuality, and that it's just the outdated people, you know, we just want to oppress our children as opposed to protect our children, which is what we want to do. And so they passed this, and this amaze.org, this website that has numerous things I would object to as a parent, um, is one of the resources listed in every single one of the compliant, um, what California considers compliant uh, curriculums. So when a school district like Fremont or somewhere passes San Diego curriculum and they've got a list of resources in the very beginning, a teacher is welcome to use anything from any of those websites they want to use, including this graphic pornographic video.
you know, at the end of the day... I, 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 I have it, to tell it, you, I, I, I just, I just want to say, because I want to publicly disclaim this, the, the, it's called porn factor fiction. I was very hesitant to even Google it to, to read more about it. I, I mean, I don't even want those things on my search history, um, you know. Well, so, and I, as I say, I, I tried to look know, at the curriculum directly and was unable to do so. And I thought, okay, with that, I, I guess I've not seen anything, and therefore I have, by default, seen enough. Why is it, yes. Karen, that parents are not allowed or not being encouraged to be a part of this process? I mean, I, we so, so the state knows better about raising our kids and what is healthy for them and what isn't better than parents do? I mean, this is very Orwellian in nature, is it not? Well, yes, like a lot of things in California, and they do believe that. And, you know, our organization has done a public records request on over 900 school districts, and we are finding, we'll be putting out our report hopefully in early January, um, but we're finding all sorts of objectionable things. You know, teachers um, sending emails to each other saying, don't show parents the link to this curriculum. You, you know, they just want to deceive the parents. And so we're encouraging parents, no matter what grade your child is in, to, to fill out our opt-out form and take it to the school so no matter what grade, what age, your kids are opted out of this graphic material. And that's the only way you can really ensure that your kids protect it. If parents want to get information about the opt-out, and, I, and I'm sad that it has to be an opt-out, this kind of curriculum ought to be presented to the parents, and then they should have the ability to opt a child in if they, for whatever reason, deem it appropriate or within the, the confines of the sort of uh, moral standards that are uh, that are taught in their household. But, of course, California, it's just backwards. How can parents get a copy of the opt-out form? They can go to letparentsdecide.org, letparentsdecide.org, we have a form. We also have a legal memo from Alliance Defending Freedom that talks about the form and the law, and, and this will ensure that your kids don't get any of the surveys that ask them about sex and that when it comes to all of this pornographic stuff, and I will tell you they're teaching it much younger than what parents know. That will be in our report in January. Um, the only way to protect your kids is to fill the opt-out and take it into the school district and then there's an email on there to let us know you sent it into the school district so we could follow up. All right, again, that website is letparentsdecide.org. That's letparentsdecide.org. And, uh, you know, school is going to be out here shortly and coming back into full swing come January. So as a parent, good that you be informed on such matters, and most important, that you be engaged in protecting your children from being exposed to... <laughs> what seems to be on the surface, uh, the endorsement of your child consuming pornography. Wow. Karen England, Executive Director with the Capital Resource Institute. Information available on the web at capitalresource.org. That's capitalresource.org. And once again, the website where you can get a copy of the opt-out form and more legal insights into your rights as a parent pertaining to the content contained within the so-called California Healthy Youth Act at LetParentsDecide.org. LetParentsDecide.org. Wow. I, I, I suppose I'm jaded to the point where it's like, ah, California, this is to be expected, right? But should it be, really? 516, let's get a look at traffic. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The second stage of life, uh, those years typically after 40, if you kind of take the average lifespan of 80, cut it in half, so 40 and beyond, and and particular up into those uh, those uh, golden years, or, or oftentimes referred to as wonder years, can in fact be very wonderful years. But it all because it can be a period of time that brings about a tremendous degree of confusion. Oftentimes, there's a sense of trying to um, struggle to to retain or regain or refocus one's sense of self-worth and purpose and self-identity. And this is particularly true for women who reach that period of life, say, um, once the empty nest happens, um, in that wonder year period. Well, there's a very special conference coming to the San Francisco Bay Area. It's going to be at Mount Hermon coming up in February called The Wonder Years Gathering. And here to tell us more about it is best-selling author, our friend Leslie Leland Fields. And Leslie, great to have you back on the show. Hi, Craig. Yeah, it's so good to be with you again. Most conveniently, you've written a book by a similar title, <laughs> The Wonder Years, 40 Women Over 40 on Aging, Faith, Beauty, and Strength, released by Kriegel Publications. And it's one where you really deal with that second half of life, well, let's face it, uh, there, there's, there's a sense of sort of shifting of gears, sense of reevaluation going on. In some cases, we see people that um, have been engaged even in, in uh, active faith in the church for many, many years, and suddenly they kind of hit 40 and say, or hit 50 and say, hmm, time to do some reevaluation here. And they begin to maybe disengage from church to pursue things like career dreams or travel plans, maybe new job direction, early retirement, um, or or even kind of struggle to find that so-called empty nest response. This conference, uh, as much as the book, really focuses on helping women over 40 Engage in that reevaluation stage and really view the second stage in life not as uh, something with a sense of it met with fear and trepidation, but but in fact something that can be wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I I really think so. That the second half of life, sort of the second chapter, a lot of women and and when I say women, I, I mean I don't want to exclude men because I I think men experience part of this as well. Um, you know, maybe the kids are grown and gone now, and maybe you're nearing the end of, you know, your, your work life. And, and the question is, like, what's next? Lord, what do I do next? And if we, you know, our culture has all kinds of messages about aging, right? And it's so interesting to, you know, to follow and to watch. And um, there's also some really shocking statistics like um, I just found a statistic earlier today about um, about how much Americans spend on cosmetic procedures, on cosmetic surgeries, and you're ne- you're never going to guess the number. I was guessing, okay, maybe it's going to be a billion. Like you know, people trying to outrun time and and having facelifts and you know Botox and fillers and you know just all the cosmetic procedures to hide our age. Well, in 2016, Americans spent $16 billion. $16 billion? Wow. Yes. That, that's the stat that I found um, from, a, from a look to be a, a credible source. So that's, that tells us something immediately, right, that we don't 
I mean, we don't want to age. We don't, we don't, we're, we're, we fight against it. We resist it. We don't want to look, you know, we don't want to look our age. We want to look younger. We want to act younger. And so this, this whole negative, you know, cultural value on aging and, um, and it's, uh, and we understand it. And it's really easy to slip into that ourselves, but God has a completely different view of aging. And of course, you know that that different view, very very unlike society, where we tend to celebrate youth and everything about youth, and uh, uh, tend to dismiss and discount uh, growing older. But in fact, it's 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 the maturization, it's the the opportunity to take life lessons and the wisdom that we gain from that, and and the knowledge that really put it to work for us in in exploring new opportunities and opening new doors. In many respects, uh, at least it's been true in my life, uh, the, the, the second half is far more exciting. And, of course, the old adage, gee, if I only knew 30 years ago. <laughs> but now that you know, why not put it to work and, you know, and, and really learn how to embrace the second half of life as opposed to facing it with fear and trepidation, which is largely the message being promoted by pop culture. It is. It is for sure. And that's why people are running to the, you know, to the plastic surgeon and running to hide. And God values age and time and and wisdom. You know, you think about the, um, you think about some of the champions of the faith and uh, Abraham and Sarah, who are, you know, we call Abraham in the father, the father of our faith. God waited until he was 99 years old to start, you know, this spectacular work. Um, in, in Abraham and Sarah, and you know why didn't why didn't um, why didn't he have why didn't they have Isaac sooner? You know they weren't ready. They weren't ready. God God waited until they were nine nine because then they were ready. Then they were ready for His purposes. And Moses was eighty. You know when God began to use him to lead um, the Israelites out of slavery. Um, Anna and Simeon in the temple. They were in their eighties. You know, and and God, that's when God used them most powerfully. So when you look at the scriptures, we get such a completely different view of of aging. And and there's some just wonderful verses. There's a a verse um, in the Psalm, Psalm 71. Now that I'm old and my hair is gray, don't leave me, God. And this is why he says, don't leave me, because I must tell the next generation about your power and greatness. God, your greatness reaches far above the skies. You have done wonderful things. And this is part of the reason that, I've, that I'm calling the second half of life the wonder years, because that word wonder is, you know, is used throughout the scriptures, and it's always talking about God's, you know, the signs and wonders of God. And I think in the second half of life, we are we're beginning to be more mature, we're beginning to be wiser, our eyes are beginning to be more and more open to the wonders of God in our lives. And um, I, there's another part to that too, Craig, is, as we get older, you know, we, we our, our bodies don't respond, you know, the ways that they used to, but they start to break down a little bit. Some, you know, someone may be diagnosed with diabetes or someone might need a hip replacement or a knee, you know, our body parts just kind of start falling and and wearing out a little bit. But there's a wonderful truth um, about that. It's not a cause for um, despair. I think the more we need God and the more rely on God, the more 
God gives us of himself. And I think that's where the signs and wonders, um, I think that's where we're going to see God's signs and wonders even more powerfully um, as, as we age and as we get older and as we rely upon him more and more. And the other thing that I want to come back to that I think bears highlighting, and that is the notion of the responsibility we have as older, more mature Christians to pass on that, that spiritual heritage, that spiritual legacy to younger generations. And, you know, oftentimes we kind of uh, just jump right past that point or we're so concerned about making it to the crossing. It's all about in the early years, get an education, uh, find a partner, get married, raise a family. And then suddenly we skip over into enjoying retirement. And before you know it, we're, we're at the grave. And, and there is that period of time in there that you've you've dubbed or, or labeled the wonder years that we tend to kind of skip over or, or look at with a sense of fear and trepidation, as opposed to a sense that not only is this great time, and there are often many opportunities that are available to us this period in life that earlier on they're not, either because of limitations of education or life experience or family responsibilities or money. So not only do we get a chance to do some exploring, but then to be able to sort of build that legacy, that spiritual legacy by pouring that wisdom experience into our children and grandchildren. What a wonderful opportunity. Oh, absolutely. And the church really, really needs us They need us. There's a huge gap right now because just as you say, what happens is people retire. The other, there's, there's a fear of aging, right? And I talked about the, you know, plastic surgery and all that. But the other part, the other cultural message is that retirement is about freedom, freedom from responsibility. And some people sell their houses and they, you know, buy an RV and, and they live on the road. People move to the beach or they spend all their time on the golf course. There's kind of an attitude of, hey, I worked for 40 years, you know, I put in my time, now I'm going to travel, I'm going to have fun, I'm going to do whatever I want, you know, buy the Harley, hit the road. But here's the thing, God says, this is, in the biblical view, is so different. God says, you're not going to find freedom on the road or in an RV park or on the golf course. Freedom is found in Christ. And as we become more spiritually mature, we become more and more free in Jesus Christ. And here's what I mean by by free, that freedom. We are freed from our natural selves, from our natural enslavement to the pursuit of pleasure, you know, in pursuit of the next big thing. And, And the truth is, the more we're enslaved to self and the pursuit of our own pleasure, the more miserable we are. But the more we love God and serve our neighbors, the happier we are. And there's there's a lot of science that bears that out as well. And so, okay, I, I'm going to confess my age here because, you know what, I'm proud of it. I'm 62. I just turned 62. And lots of people my age are retired, and, you know, I look around at friends, and, you know, they're able to do whatever they want, to spend the time as they choose. But And, and here I am. I'm working harder than ever and I'm working right now, Craig, <laughs> being here on the radio with you. But see, here's the thing. This isn't work. This is joy. This is freedom. You know, writing books and teaching, serving God and his people, like there's nothing better. There's nothing more exciting. There's nothing more wonderful. And and we can keep doing it no matter our age. And So here's a summary statement about that. The older we are, the freer we can be in Christ. 
and I, I truly believe that, and and I'm experiencing that. The older I get, the more free I am in Christ. I mentioned about the fact that there's going to be this uh, conference coming up, the Wonder Years Gathering. It'll be at Mount Hermon, February the 21st through the 23rd. Just spend a quick moment, if you would, Leslie. Tell us a bit about the conference. Um, most importantly, give us a notion as to who it's targeted for and its purpose. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much. Um, so it's um, there'll be a gathering. It'll be an intimate gathering. This is not a stadium kind of event. This is a group of about um, 75 of us who are going to come together. We're going to have world-class speakers. Elisa Morgan is going to be one of our keynotes. I will also be keynoting. Michelle Van Loon, who's written a number of books, will be there, and several other <clears throat> really amazing world-class speakers. And we're going to be addressing things like... Um, everything that we're talking about tonight and other issues um, about marriage, uh, marriage and midlife. What are some of the challenges that we face? And we're going to be talking about caregiving. Some of us out there, um, um, some people listening, are are caregiving for their parents or even for their children or grandchildren. So we're going to talk about um, the needs of caregivers and we're going to come together, and we're going to. This is going to be a safe place to talk about all the issues that face us as we get older, and they may be health issues or spiritual issues or whatever they are. We need a safe place to come together, and to sometimes we need to lament some of our the losses as we age. But there's also so much to celebrate and so much to look forward to. So we're gathering to equip one another to move forward and to to open our eyes wider to the wonder that God has for us in the second half of our life. So this is this is going to make us stronger. It's going to equip us to um, to understand what God is calling us to in the second second half of our lives. And can I do a little we we're doing a special just for this, you know, for for today and tomorrow. Um, it's a hundred dollars off um, the registration price for anyone who's listening today, and if, when they register, if they do a little note, I heard you on KFAX, or I heard you with Craig, then they're going to get that $100 off special. And, and what a great thinking about uh, Christmas giving season. What a, what a great gift for uh, your spouse, uh, your mother, uh, daughter, um, a woman that you'd like to really bless and uh, help them understand uh, just how wonderful these Wonder Years can be. The Wonder mm-hmm. Years Gathering details on the web at wonderyearsgathering.com. That's wonderyearsgathering.com. And again, you'll receive $100 off registration today or tomorrow when you mention Lifeline or KFAX, the wonderyearsgathering.com, uh, coming to Mount Hermon. Again, the dates February 21, 22, and 23 in 2020. I guess you probably concluded that, right? Our thanks to our guest, Leslie Leland Fields, for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. All right, traffic for you an update now at 536. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, busy night tonight, and uh, maybe you're busy yourself. A little bit of Wednesday evening Christmas shopping. I've got a list I need to work on myself. You want to swing by, I can give it to you. Maybe you can help out here. (laughs) If you're... (laughs) 
If you're buying something special for that uh, special lady on your list, you're probably smart enough to know that ladies like silver. Oh, but next to silver, they like gold. But if you're really smart, you know that even beyond gold, there's platinum. Oh, yes, indeed, the most precious of precious metals. And as it is a rare metal, it's not only precious, but it also is one of the most utilitarian metals that exists on the planet. How so? And how is there a parallel between the preciousness of platinum and how you can live out platinum faith? Well, our guest tonight, Michelle Matlock Adams, makes the connection in a new book called Platinum Faith, Live Brilliant, Be Resilient, and Know Your Worth, newly released by Abington Press. And Michelle, Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you as well. You know, we we talk about uh, the preciousness of uh, precious metals, and certainly during the Christmas season, oftentimes these are special gifts for uh, for someone near and dear. And a lot of guys, as I suggest, will think about a gift of silver or a gift of gold. We rarely, though, think about platinum, and, and I suppose because that is the most rare of those three precious metals, but it's also the one that has some properties that are so unique. And you've made a tie-in, and I think it's brilliant. How, how did you go about about making the connection between the value of the properties of platinum and how it can be a parallel to the value of living out platinum faith. Well, I'll started with my business partner, who's also my co-author, Bethany Jett. She and I are best friends and kind of just do life together. We have a business called Platinum Literary, where we help um, our clients get their books published and edit their work, that kind of thing. And in choosing the name Platinum Literary, we really studied what the elements of platinum, you know, what they are, what they mean, what they would mean to our, our namesake. And so people assume that we chose platinum um, because of our hair color. <laughs> We're both blondes, but neither one of us are actual blondes. So that was not the reason we chose platinum. <laughs> we chose platinum because it has so many amazing qualities, because it is rare, because it is valuable, because it's top shelf, because it's, it's so useful, and because it's it can withstand the heat, it's, it resists corrosion, just so many cool properties. We, we covered 12 in the book. And then we decided to do a couple books together because we, we had books, each of us, of, on our own. And that just seemed like the natural fit, platinum faith. If all these things apply to our business, well, they most definitely apply to our faith. We want our faith to be all those things. We want to be able to resist corrosion. We want to be able to withstand the heat and shine brightly, all those things. So it really wasn't that big a jump because we'd already spent quite a bit of time researching what the elements were. And as we talk about some of the elements, and obviously folks will get the most in-depth out of this through getting a copy of the new book, Platinum Faith, Live Brilliant, Be Resilient, and Know Your Worth. But walk us through, if you would, just some of the basic highlights of the object lessons learned, the comparison between the preciousness of platinum as a rare metal and platinum faith. I sure will. One of our favorite chapters is Chapter 2, where we talk about um, platinum is one of the most useful metals. And it's exactly what you said when you were describing it. Most women, when you think of platinum, you think of the most gorgeous ring setting there's ever been created. <laughs> That's, platinum is, is what you hope is underneath the tree this Christmas. It's just the best thing ever. I, mean, I have a platinum necklace I inherited from my mother-in-law that, you know, I don't even wear it because it's so valuable. I just, it just sits in my jewelry box. I love it that much. It's so special. Well, it being useful was not something I really thought about when I thought about platinum, but when you study out, I'm a journalist, so I always study things. I love to research. Platinum actually is used in cancer-fighting drugs. It's used in smoke detectors. 
It's also in catalytic converters. It's used in um, dental implants, so many things that you'd never think about or associate with platinum. And so what we were talking about in this chapter, and which really resonated with a lot of readers, we're hearing uh, back from, from people about this, is, you know, there will be times in your life, whatever your calling is, there will be seasons where you might be out front and be that shiny platinum ring. You know, maybe you're, um, you're the one leading the Bible study, or you're a praise and worship minister, or, or whatever it is, you're, you're kind of, your calling is out front. And so you kind of have that, that, like the ring, you're the shiny, very noticeable, glamorous sort of a calling. And there'll be other seasons where you might be um, in the nursery. <laughs> I've been there. You know, that's, that's kind of behind the scenes. You're doing a service kind of a thing. You're, you're doing that servant, um, that, that mode. And so that might be more like um, being in the smoke detector or being in um, the catalytic converter. You don't know it's there, but if it's not there, nothing works. I mean, think about the smoke detector. We don't really notice it or even realize it's there until it works, until it goes off because there's smoke in the house, or if you need to change the batteries. That's about the only other time we ever hear it. And so, um, but, but it's so important. And so we make the parallel that there's not one that's more important than the other. All of our callings are important. So whether you are a smoke detector or you are a big flashy ring, it doesn't matter where you are in that calling at this point. You are so, so precious and so important, and you're useful to God. And so that was what we wanted to encourage people. When we, of course, we draw upon um, where it talks about in the Bible that we all have different, um, we're all like a different part of the body. You know, if you're an ear, don't try to be an eye. If you're an eye, don't try to be an ear. Be the best ear you can be. And so we, we talk about that, and, you know, from, from Corinthians. But uh, I think that that's, that's a really good lesson. It makes all of us stop that comparison trap and, and really walk in our calling and be happy with where we are on the way to where God's taking us. What strikes me, too, is in addition to platinum being one of the rarest of, of metals, there's also some very unique properties that it possesses that really elevates uh, it, not only its importance, but certainly its, its economic value because it's both rare and has these special properties. You make a comparison between some of the properties in platinum and the kind of faith that God wants us to walk in. Uh, touch on one or two of the more rare or more special properties possessed by platinum. Yes, that's a great question. Well, one of the things about platinum is that it's very, it easily bonds to other metals. And so we made the parallel that, you know, when you're walking in faith and you're striving for that platinum faith, that you you need other Christians. I mean, that's, that's a real thing. I think that a lot of us, many people, uh, you can watch church on, on TV. You can watch church on YouTube. You can watch church pretty much anywhere you are. You can, if you have any kind of device on your phone or whatever, you can get church. And that's great. But then you're by yourself, and you have the, the Bible tells us to come together. We need each other. And so it's important that we bond with other Christians and that we bond with others. And we talk about in this, you know, getting together and getting in the Word with other believers. And we actually encourage that. At the end of each chapter, we have study questions, and we're encouraging group study. We'll be having a Bible study come out next year. Um, related to platinum, they will be based on each chapter because we want that. We want you to to really dig into the word and to lift each other up in prayer. And we need one another as as believers. We're called to that. That's a biblical principle. But we get away from that some. I, and also, a lot of people are very introverted, and they'd rather just not do that. <laughs> they'd rather just not have to bond with anybody. Um, my my co-author Bethany is um, she is an introvert to to the nth degree, and yet God has called her to be a writer. And when you're a writer, you have to kind of go out and speak about it. And so, you know, whatever the calling is, God will equip you, even if you're an introvert. But that's one of the things is that platinum bonds really easily with other metals, just like when we're walking in platinum faith, we are to bond with other Christians so that we can, um, and, you know, we can accomplish more together. And then maybe one of the other ones that, that really stood out to us is that 
um, platinum can withstand the heat. And so you can heat it up to such a high degree, more than any of the other metals, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't melt. And so we were talking about withstanding the heat. You know, we, even if you're walking in the best place, you know, you're in a good place with God, and you, he's, you know, you're a Christian, and, and you're spending time in the Word, and you're praying, and, and you're going to church, and you're, you're singing the praise and, and worship songs in, in your car. You're doing all the things that you know to do. Life happens. We're, we're not in heaven yet, so there, there's going to be things come against you. Maybe even this holiday season, you'll have to encounter a relative that always rubs you wrong or those kinds of things. There's going to be some things happen in life that's not always butterflies and sunshine and bluebirds on your shoulder. It, it can get tough. And so, but when we're walking in platinum faith, we can withstand the heat. No matter what the devil throws at us, we can withstand it because we're not depending on ourselves. We're depending on the God in us, or we're, we're depending on the fact that we are rooted and planted deeply in the Lord, and that we are standing on His promises. And so when things happen, we can just, we, it's not that we enjoy things that happen that are bad, but that we can walk through them and not get stuck back there. We can actually not just survive, but thrive through it. And so we talk about that, we compare that, the fact that platinum can, as a metal, can withstand the heat, so can we as we are Christians walking in platinum faith. You know, the other thing that occurs to me, uh, if you talk about the the history of uh, rare metals, or, or for that matter, uh, e- even rarer gemstones, the one thing that they all have in common is that they, they didn't just appear instantly. Uh, there is sort of a, an innate Earth-related process that takes place over thousands of years for these metals to become what they are. The diamond, for example, speaking of rare stones, that through thousands of years of extreme pressure um, is, is eventually formed. And I, and I suppose there's another correlation to there then, Michelle, in the sense that uh, developing or achieving platinum kind of faith, the kind that is brilliant, resilient, um, is something that really takes time. It doesn't happen overnight, does it? That is such a great parallel. You're exactly right. And and we, we point out in the book many times, this is not about having perfect faith. We are, you know, it tells us in the Bible we're all given a measure of faith. So we know we have it. We're given that. But it doesn't ever say that we have perfect faith. Now, that's the goal, is to, to walk, you know, uh, as closely to the Lord as possible. But it is, it's progress, not perfection. That's our hashtag. So you just have to know that, that um, when we say all-in faith, that's what platinum faith is, all-in faith. It's, it's no matter what comes against me or what's going on in the world, I'm all-in, Lord. I'm yours, and, and I want to serve you, and I want to walk with you, and I want to do life with you, and I want you to, to guide my steps. Every, every, every path I take, I want you to be leading it. That's all in faith. That means that you're not moved by circumstances, but you are rooted in the Word. But that is exactly what you said. That doesn't happen overnight. If you just get saved, you know, one Sunday, you're not ready to, to just take on everything all at once. Those baby Christians, we need to rally around them and, and, and love on them and, and that's what, like, to get back to the bonding chapter. We need to do that for each other. But even if you've been a Christian forever, you know, you were born under the pew kind of thing, and you've been walking with the Lord many years— life can get tough. I mean, we've got several friends and family members who are battling some really terrible health challenges right now, and that can shake your face sometimes. I mean, it, it, you feel bad, and, and, and man, that's when you're tired and, you're, and the diagnosis isn't, isn't good. That can shake your faith. But, but what we're saying in Platinum Faith, it's not that you don't have days when you're sad or when your, your faith is a little bit shaky and not maybe a little lackluster, not as shiny as Platinum. That's okay. God, God's got that covered. But what we're saying is platinum faith is the goal. We may not be there yet, but that is the goal. And to walk towards that means even though I'm having a day where I don't feel very 
full of faith. I'm not going by feelings, Lord. I'm going by the fact that I know that you have put faith in me, and I am turning my faith towards you every single day and pressing towards that mark. And so that's what we're talking about. You're right. It doesn't happen overnight, but but the process is, can be beautiful. And then just like with the diamond, it, it, you know, gosh, over those thousands of years, we get this beautiful stone. I mean, what woman doesn't love diamonds? <laughs> diamonds and platinum, we're talking about things women really love tonight. But, but uh, yeah, I want to be that. I want to be that after all the all, all the uh, things that we go through at the end of it. I want to be that diamond. I want to be that platinum faith. And so when you have that goal, that's a good goal to have. We're not saying you're going to get there tomorrow, but it's worth the journey. The book is called Platinum Faith, Live Brilliant, Be Resilient, and Know Your Worth. As I mentioned before, newly released by Abington Press. You'll find it at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it through the usual suspects, uh, certainly Amazon.com. Also available through Michelle's website, Michelle Medlock. Adams.com. That's Michelle Medlock, M-E-D-L-O-C-K, MedlockAdams.com. Platinum Faith. Live brilliant, be resilient, and know your worth by Abington Press. Our thanks to Michelle for being with us. Michelle, Merry Christmas. Thanks for the time tonight. Six o'clock from KFAX. Let's get you updated on traffic.